welcome to another episode of Space Flicks. This is the podcast where we review a movie and decide if it's worth the cost of beaming out to a lonely astronaut in space. I'm Dan. I'm Adam. And I'm sitting here with two uh, chocolate chip cookie dough uh, burrs, and they are nice. melting and going to get all sticky <laughs> all over the seat. <laughs> and uh, everyone knows what that means, of course. Um, yes. Today we're talking about uh, the latest film from direct, written and directed by Charlie Kaufman. Yes. Uh, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, available on Netflix. Uh, this one stars Jesse Plemons and Jesse Buckley, as well as Tony Collette and David, how do you pronounce his name? Thewlis? That's how I've always pronounced That's how it. That's it looks, yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, this is the latest from, from Charlie Kaufman. Do you want to read the synopsis, Adam? Sure do. Uh, full of misgivings, a young woman travels with her new boyfriend to his parents' secluded farm. Upon arriving, she comes to question everything she thought she knew about him and herself. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's close enough. That's close enough, yeah. Um, so Charlie Kaufman, uh, quite a name. A lot of film lovers you know, know his name. It was probably some, some mainstream uh, audiences know his name as well. But this is the guy who wrote Being John Malkovich, mm-hmm. um, Adaptation, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I think he's only, I want to say recently, but that's not really true in terms of years, but recently in terms of his career, has he started directing films? I think he started with Synecdoche, New York. Is that right? Yes, that, that's right. And then he's, he also directed a movie, Anomalisa, um, which I haven't seen. Have you seen that one? I've not seen Anomalisa. I've I heard uh, very good things about it. It just never rose to the top of the pile. All right, it sounds like we're in the same boat then. Um, so I will say for myself, in terms of expectations, I was looking forward to this. I think I had it in my head that I didn't consider Kaufman to be a very strong director. I mean, that's probably just kind of like knee-jerk, or gut feeling based on, you know, firstly, his prior collaborators in terms of directors were very strong, right? Spike Jones and Michel Gondry, I think, are both really, like, unique voices and have really strong sort of, like, you know, they have really strong um, uh, catalogs to look yeah. at. Um, and, then, and then thinking, like, well, for him to go out and try to do it himself, you know, that's it's going to be, it's going to be a tough, you know, tough comparison but then thinking back to synecdoche new york um i do think that movie was quite interesting like it's not it wasn't just like a you know um it wasn't just like a sort of like very generic feeling movie um like like of a, of a like a journeyman director you know it, right it, it, i think my memory of it at least was that it was very unique um in terms of its voice and feel and everything but um then again, I guess a lot of that comes down to the writing, right? And the writing dictates some really bizarre things like in, like insane sets, for example. Right. Um, that had to go into the making of that movie. So I think when I was thinking about it leading up to this one, as I was sort of remembering the feel of watching Synecdoche, New York, and how unique of a movie that was, mm-hmm. I was thinking, oh, maybe this will be really interesting, you know, not just from a writing perspective, because I know he's a great writer, but... 
also just from the overall filmmaking perspective. So I was pretty looking forward to it, actually. The more I sort of like was thinking about trying to remember, like, what is a Charlie Kaufman movie like, you know? Yeah. Um, so I was definitely looking forward to it. And I just sort of could sense from the trailer that I didn't, I could tell from watching the trailer that the trailer probably didn't give me a very good sense of what the movie was going to be like. Right. Because it was suitably kind of vague and, you know, but, um, but knowing Charlie Kaufman, he tends to fill his movies with very, um, unexpected things. Uh, so yeah, I just kind of was like, not sure what it was going to be, but was excited for the ride. Yep. What about you? Yeah, I was really looking forward to it. Um, the the premise of the movie as as articulated by the trailer where it, it seems like there is some sort of um element of the characters that is stuck in time or they're unable to sort of uh proceed past some sort of point that the you know it's it's unclear chronologically like what happens when when you're watching a trailer obviously um but I was just sort of intrigued by that sort of that feeling that the trailer gave off. Um, and then uh, something that had me kind of excited for the movie in sort of a elliptical way was I had read recently a interview with Jesse Plemons, uh, mm-hmm. who play, who's the main, the male lead. And he at one point in the interview uh, said that he wasn't sure why he was cast for the part and he went and asked Charlie Kaufman at like a dinner and he was like, so what is this movie about? Right. And Uh Kaufman answered like, I don't know. Right. (laughs) And that actually had me really excited for it because it's like, um, and apparently all the actors felt the same way. They were like, Oh good. You're Mm -hmm. not the only one who's not sure what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, (laughs) And so on one hand, I felt like in uh, a less creative writer's hands, that could be deathly, right? That could be really bad. Um, But I just, I I never expect, well, put this way, I always expect Kaufman movies that he writes to at least have, you know, interesting ideas in them. And even Mm -hmm. if we can't like fully articulate logically or rationally what, you know, like it's all about capital, you know, capital A, capital A, all about like, um, I wanted some, I was interested in something that was a little bit like daring and challenging. Um, and so with that combined with the sort of uncertain, like slightly ominous tone in the trailer, uh, I was just, I was all aboard. I was ready to go. Yeah. Um, this is going, this is getting, probably ahead of us in the conversation, but just thinking about what you were just saying and about, you know, Kaufman saying, I'm not sure that he wasn't sure what it was about, uh, makes me, and this is not a connection I made while watching the movie, but, um, in comparison I'm making right now is one to David Lynch. Yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting to think that Kaufman could be getting more Lynchian (laughs) as, as he goes in his career. Yeah. Because, you know, David Lynch is someone that when I think of him, I really just think of, you know, Mulholland Drive, Lost Highway, like Inland Empire, some of his his later work, yeah. right? 
Um, but he did sort of, you know, he did demonstrate earlier in his career, he's capable of telling like a linear sensical story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, as he kind of went on, it sort of, I think it seems to me that he became more open to telling stories that weren't even really stories, you know, or like painting pictures almost more than telling stories. Yeah. Right. With his films. And, uh, I don't, I mean, I, I'm not trying to say Kaufman's becoming like an imitation of Lynch or, or even that they're all that similar, but just that, um, thinking of Synecdoche and thinking of this movie, um, it seems like, and I mean, I know his movies were already weird, right. With being John Malkovich and adaptation, but, right. um, yeah, it really seems like he's kind of increasingly kind of wandering away from the sort of linear narrative or at least like or at least like even even movies that are really weird they still kind of like fit a structure mm -hmm. you know being john malkovich is still actually a relatively straightforward story yep. if you can accept the crazy premise yep. right yep whereas there are things Sin yeah there Sinecta are things that York, happen in that movie Right. Like it's a plot. Right. Yeah. Same thing with eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Right. There are things mm -hmm. yeah, that totally. happen in that movie, even if it's like, they're like mm -hmm. nuts and you know, a little bit like, uh, frankly, a lot of them occur like inside the mind of a character, but they're still like yeah. in the world of the film, those things are happening. And like, right. well, you were about to say something about Synecdoche, New York. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I felt, uh, well, I mean, I think adaptation, he starts to, um, you know, adaptation has a whole like meta kind of, um, like, uh, I don't want to, I don't know if it's probably wouldn't be right to call it narrative, but it has sort of a, almost like a meta commentary or a meta message, mm -hmm. right. That, that you can like a layer to it. Yep. Um, synecdoche, I would say is sort of like taking things to a whole new level of, sorry, my mic is freaking out. I'd have to edit this out. Okay. We can just wait until you're ready. Yeah, I wish this didn't take so much effort to fix. Oh, oh my gosh. I had it and then I didn't have it. It's fine. I'll just hold. <laughs> <laughs> I'll hold this the entire time. No, okay, there we go. It's better. Um, Synecdoche, um, I feel like, was his first that to try to say, you know, to it becomes much more of a challenge to try to like summarize what happens in the movie. Yeah, for sure. You know, because it's, it's, it definitely has something that you could call a plot, but as it goes, you know, increasingly the events that are taking place in the movie, you start to say, it's like, I don't know if this is really happening. You know, this is more like symbolic right? or it's capturing an idea more than it is, you know, presenting the next piece of the plot. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I guess really I'm just supposed to be talking about first impressions here, but I think that this movie continues in that vein, uh, for Kaufman. I think it's, I think it's, um, and, and I guess to, to tie all this together for me and my first impressions, I love movies like that. I mean, as you know, David Lynch is one of my favorite directors, yeah. writers, directors, and I think what it is, what part of it is, is that I really love when movies, um, like tell a story that only movies can tell mm -hmm. or present things in a way that only, that like the, for, the form of cinema is uniquely capable of expressing. Yep. And 
this feels like that to me. Like, you know, I know it's based on a book actually, which is interesting. I'd be very curious to read that book, but, um, but to me, and don't get me wrong, I've definitely read books that are, you know, more surreal, but just by the nature of a book of your like reading words, you know, that by their nature have to go in order yeah, and you can stitch together like different scenes. You can sort of present things in a number of different ways, but I think movies are uniquely more, they have more, there's more tools, right. Um, right. Between the sound and the images and, and the dialogue and things like that. And, and this movie gets very playful with some of the things that you can do with the movie, which I won't get into until we get a, li- a little further on in spoilers. Right. But it's all just, um, yeah, it, it, it really, it really ticked all those boxes for me. It was, it was very enjoyable for me. And I, I think pretty quickly I, um, I sort of, I almost was like relieved as the movie, um, you know, in the first probably like half hour or something, um, that I was like, Oh, okay, this is going to be really interesting. It's not just going to be, you know, an exploration of this couple's relationship with like a few little flourishes, like this movie's going to go deep into weirdness. Right. And, uh, and I was pretty excited about that. So, uh, and I was not disappointed, um, by the time the movie ended. So yeah, I would say my expectations were high and, uh, my, my first impression was I was like, that was, that was really sweet. I really loved it. Yeah. What about you? I think, um, there were, the movie is surprisingly like, it, it sounds insane for me to describe it this way, but like real time, right. It almost feels mm-hmm. like we don't skip any of the evening. Right. I know that's mm. not totally true. Like, def- which is which is kind of an insane thing to say, right? <laughs> when you've seen the movie, right. but I, I know what you mean. It, it 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 doesn't feel like there's big like elliptical bits where uh, we are skipping over a significant part of the evening. Um, mm-hmm. Now that being said, I, yeah, exactly. Like, would would, it, would another way of putting that? I don't know if you disagree with this or if I'm understanding your point, but. For me, the way I would put what you're saying is like, you feel like you're sort of experiencing it from her perspective. Yes. The whole time. Yes. Yes. I don't feel like there's any part where the movie, like figuratively speaking, fades to black and we are meant to imagine like what happened in those two hours or whatever between the cut and the next scene. It's like, I feel like we're Mm -hmm. just tracking with her the entire time as insane as that sounds. Cause the movie obviously like is extremely uh, difficult to parse, like what's happening when and to whom. Right. But like, um, but in that regard, I feel like the movie sort of is following the, tr- the, the, the thought and sort of um, emotional journey of this woman. And I feel like the movie breaks it up into these sort of like big chunks. Right that like play out in their entirety. And so it's like, there's the drive to the house, the house, the drive away from the house, the high school, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It's like, um, and yeah, four chapters. Right. And I remember having like, my thinking is that the house, the sequence in the house, I just, I was just enraptured by I just like mm-hmm. loved what was happening. I loved the fe- like 
just all of, and I want to dive into all of this stuff. And this, this could be a very long conversation because I feel like there's so many things I want to talk about. Um, partly because things I loved, partly things I didn't understand. Um, but at the same, by the same token, I was like, the drives are, uh, like just their, their plays practically, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so in that regard, I was a little bit taken aback. I was like, oh, like this is not, the, these are just like dialogue scenes between two people. And they're a little more complicated than that, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. oversimplifying them a little, especially the second drive. Um, but, uh, yeah. but it, just, it, it just felt like this movie ha- had a sort of like herky-jerkiness to it, like a, like a, a lurching sort of quality of like, being in the car is extremely different tonally than being in the house is very different than being in the high school. And the movie doesn't really attempt to like create any sort of coherent tone or approach. It's like, we're just going to treat these like four, almost like four little short films, right. That you watch totally atomically. Right. Uh, and they're independent of each other in some ways. Um, yeah, that's not again not totally right, but you, and so in that regard, there were parts that I adored and parts that I was like, oh, this is a little like a little dry, right? Um, <laughs> and so, uh, but that being said, I haven't stopped thinking about it since I watched it. Yeah, well, it's funny you'd call them dry. I feel like we had a similar. You know what? It reminds me of the conversation we had about um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh-huh. Where on the one hand, I get what you're saying, but I think on the other hand, for me, what really worked about those long stretches of like seemingly, you know, quote unquote, just dialogue was like something crazy is going to happen. You know, I was kind of like on edge of like, all right, they're just talking right now, but like at any moment, something truly bizarre and otherworldly is going to take place. And I was just kind of. I was in anticipation of that, right. you know, I, I think, um, there's a part of me and, and I, I think I'm probably giving the wrong impression. Like the part that I'm sort of giving voice to is the part where I find a camera pointed at the front windshield of a car to be mm-hmm. like not great cinema. Right. Mm. Um, but on the other hand, like to your point, the script and the per, like the very sort of purposeful like uh off kilter sort of disorienting approach that the script takes was like extremely uh challenging in a good way challenging and confusing right um and so even yeah. the bits in the car like you still like i i paid pretty close attention to this movie and i feel like i didn't pay close enough attention you know what I mean? I felt like oh, yeah, I feel like yeah. I should have been like parsing every frame. Like I, 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 you should watch this film like unblinking, right? Like headphones on, loud, right? Yeah. To, and you should be catching every single detail because there are details that I know that I missed, like where I saw something that I wanted to pay better attention to, and I was like, no, I'm not going to do the thing where I rewind and like reexamine the frame but I'm going to do that later because I know there are details that like, I really cared. I really wish I knew what they were because I know that they're put there on purpose 
and like and so in that regard uh even though there are parts of the movie that i don't consider to have been like great filmmaking per se um i still found it to be like really uh engaging uh storytelling gotcha okay so i mean it sounds like maybe in a word maybe you found the the film at times a little frustrating would that be fair to say? I think it just like overall, it, it sounds like overall you quite like, like it's almost the same way I would um, give Rob Reiner a hard time. Right. Like uh-huh. where, like we've had this conversation before where it's like, where I'm like, Rob, you know, in my like arrogant way, I'm, yes, like, this philosophical. I'm like, Rob Reiner's not like a great filmmaker. He's just a good storyteller. And then you're like, but isn't that great, fil- great filmmaking guy. Right. Um, <laughs> Well, I, I feel like I, you know, my sort of go-to in those debates because we definitely have talked about Rob Reiner before. I'm like, how many classic films has he made again? Right, it's like right. Multiple, you know. He's only and he's not a good. He's filmmaker. only made three of my favorite movies, but he's not that good. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. He's not. He's not skilled. He just makes he like just movies made, that yeah. everyone remembers and quotes for like decades. Right. He just made no, Final Tap and The Princess Bride, but he's like yeah. not that good. Yeah, yeah. And when Harry met Sally, right? Um, so, uh, uh, yeah. But I mean, I get what you, I get what you're saying, though. I mean, I think to me, it's like, to me, it feels like a choice, you know? Yes, um, definitely. That there are these long sequences of them in a car. And by the way, I actually really appreciated the like to to to, to address a very specific example you gave, like. The shot, the the shot that happens many times throughout the movie of just like through the windshield, but with the snow coming down and like the sound is like the sound of outside the car. The windshield wipers, yeah. Like you can hear, you can hear the windshield wipers, but you can hear just like the 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 wind and the and the snow coming down, and it just feels so cold, right? And like to me, it 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 makes those scenes. To me, they're like unlike any other sort of dialogue scenes that I can remember because I, f- I f- was practically like freezing yeah. watching them talk, yeah. you know. Um, and so to me, it was very much like this was a this was a deliberate choice to like make this conversation feel so like encased in ice. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, like they're in a car. There's no I don't think there's any shots that show any like of the world around them or other cars on the highway or anything. It's just like in the car, it's meant to be like an igloo. Right. You know? Right. Um, and so for me, that was like, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there, there are ways the movie could have been assembled that would have been more sort of like just, I don't know, for lack of a better word, cinematic, but I, but I didn't view those scenes as like in any way, um, highlighting like any shortcomings on the part of Charlie Kaufman as a filmmaker. I thought it was like, no, he wanted it to be like this and he got it to feel exactly the way these scenes were supposed to feel. Well, it it reminds Um, me sort of, of a conversation, I totally agree with you. It's absolutely deliberate. And I think it's probably, it's probably effective for what it's trying to do. It's sort of like the same. um, We had a conversation about the vast of night and there's that scene Mm -hmm. in the vast of night where, uh, the camera just cuts to black and we're just listening to a voice over black. Right. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I don't mm-hmm. think you can get much more like minimalistic filmmaking than that. Right. No image right. at all. Right. And just sound. Yeah. Um, 
And it's it's and that's obviously not because the director was like untalented or, you know, like didn't know what he was doing. Right. <laughs> like couldn't figure out what he wanted. Oh, to my do, God. So the lens bailed. cap was on. Um, <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, it's obviously a choice. And so in that regard, I absolutely feel the same way about the, the car sequence. And I think one of the things that's um, that's great about the car sequences is exactly the point that you're making, which is like there is something inherent about those sequences, which is like they're very long and they're very sort of uh, in a, and I don't mean this in a bad way, like they're very monotone, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the lighting, the steady drumbeat of sound, like the fact that there's no real disrupting events so that when they're, and you, you sort of, there's like a level of anxiety for me that was sort of like gradually increasing and never reached a fever pitch or anything, but it's just sort of like, they mm-hmm. event, this car ride eventually has to end. Right. Like this, I know there's other parts in this movie. Right. And so it's (laughs) like, um, so you're just sort of waiting, like you're, it's kind of like a car ride, right? Like you're waiting for it to end, but you're trying to be engaged while it's happening. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and so in that regard, again, like, uh, put it this way, I I quite liked and respected those sequences, but I didn't like, they didn't sort of, uh, bring me the same level of like full cinematic, joy that like other parts of the movie did yeah yeah no uh, and and i get that and i i would agree with that i mean i feel the same way it's like it's not like i would do this but if i wanted to re-watch the movie but just like the highlights i would those wouldn't be the scenes i would watch again right right the the driving scenes okay so let's see apologies for the awkward uh breaks there but next up, I think it's time to talk about um, themes of the movie, which mm-hmm. you said earlier, this could be a very long conversation. I think this is this is an area where maybe it could be really long or maybe it could be short because we can just admit to how little we understand about the movie and, right. and move on from there. Right. Uh, certainly in my case, I, w- I will say um, I had my own kind of, fledgling ideas of what actually happened in this movie after watching it. And mm-hmm. then I, and then I, um, you know, checked out some of the criticism of the movie, which like I said, is based on a book. So I think there is actually some understanding, you know, there is sort of some consensus of what the movie is actually. Right. And I, from reading, I was like, Oh, I don't think I quite was getting that. I think I was, my mind had gone in a sort of a different direction, which is interesting. Yeah. But for, but, but without getting ahead of myself, I think as far as themes go, certainly there seems to be, for me, a a big theme is like memory and, Uh um, as well as identity. So Uh yes, how memory comes in is sort of, I think the movie plays a lot with and says a lot about, you know, kind of like how, how fragile memory can be. And also, but at the same time, how much it can sort of form your identity. Um, and therefore how fragile identity can be <laughs> is, uh-huh. is, is sort of were sort of my main takeaways from the movie. And I definitely think tied up with memory is the idea of regret. Um, but those were the main things for me. And I know that's not super concrete, but 
I, I would probably just leave it at that as far as my takeaway of the theme of the movie. What about you? How would you, what themes did you, did you pick up from it? Yeah, I think, I think that's probably a good way to frame the question, which is like, I suspect, like, I suspect my understanding of this movie is, you know, like surface level or partial at best. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so the themes that I picked up on uh, are certainly going to be incomplete. Um, but one of the things that really uh, that I picked up on was this notion of how it is easier to say yes than it is mm-hmm. to say no mm-hmm. and how the, the consequence of that basic bit of inertia, right, is can be, you know, absolutely life altering. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, to me, it feels a lot, there's several bits of the movie that seem like they are about the consequences of letting things happen to you as opposed to, you know, actively choosing whether to make certain things happen or not. Mm -hmm. Um, That was, that was something I, picked up on uh a few times um and then the uh, the other another like motif that i feels like that i feel runs through the film and becomes more and more like apparent to me as i think about it more is just this idea of being stuck right Mm -hmm. this the and i think this movie makes sort of the metaphysical physical right um, but just this idea of we don't want to be stuck and how some characters seem to welcome that, welcome being stuck, and other characters seem very eager to get out of it. Um, and so I, I, I think about those sort of two things playing with one another, like the idea of accept, like passively accepting versus actively you know, driving something and the idea of to and the idea of how those two things uh cause or do not cause you to end up in sort of a a, a frozen place state of stuckness yeah um okay so that's interesting so it seems like we picked up on very different themes then yeah totally and which, no but i mean which, but i i don't think that the things that you said like those are things that i definitely caught on to as well but they weren't maybe the primary things that i mm-hmm. picked up on um but but definitely but nothing you said was like was i like oh really you know like the You're things right, that right, you right. brought up i was like yep those things too yeah i mean I, this this movie definitely feels like one that could be you know a bit of a rorschach test as in yeah. or like a prism might be a better comparison like one where there's so many themes you could pick up on um, just because there's so much going on. And, and I think the, the fact that the movie is so non-literal and so non-linear, it yeah. kind of invites, I think it sort of like triggers the brain to, to sort of go in this sort of exploratory mode, right? Of like, what is happening? How do I interpret this? Right? Like when right. a movie is, when a movie is just telling a straight up story, we all tend to interpret it the same way because it's like, it's triggering this kind of common framework, you know, of, of processing uh-huh. things. But when a movie goes outside of that, it's like, we no longer have a shared 
language for how to interpret the movie. So it, I think it tends to be a lot more individual, right? How, how what you get out of it. Yeah, um, I think cool. um, as you were talking earlier about like pairing Kaufman with Gondry or Spike Jones, right? Mm-hmm. Like something that I was sort of having a trouble, trouble articulating to myself earlier, but I feel like your comment here sort of unlocks something for me. It's like, I, my sense is with movies like Adaptation or Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind or Being John Malkovich, it's like, I think those are movies that are probably quite rich with ideas, but I do think that those directors have a knack for doing something that's sort of traditionally something we applaud directors for doing, which is sort of guiding the viewer's sort of attention and thought process in like mm-hmm. the way the director intends for it to go. Right. Mm-hmm. Like the point, like it is not unclear sort of the emotion or, or sort of the point of what those directors are trying to communicate to you. Right. right. And so the, and the screenplay might be stuffed with ideas, but somehow the director is able to, uh, and maybe I'm, mischaracterizing maybe this is all in the screenplay but like i feel like for example a movie like eternal sunshine of the spotless mind is like quite busy right there's lots of stuff Mm -hmm. happening in that movie um adaptation too but i feel like the trick is like the filmmaker and the editor etc have all figured out like what's the message what's the idea i'm trying to communicate most importantly and they figure out ways to do that and I feel like mm-hmm. the big the struggle I had with a movie like Synecdoche, New York, which I liked, but you know I, I haven't returned to it, is that I feel like it's quite um, busy in ways that I do not even know, like where to like focus my attention or my thinking, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it ends up, and I mean I think the like the climax of that film of Synecdoche sort of just like hammers this point home where there's like world, like worlds on top of worlds on top of worlds, like happening simultaneously. And I don't think one is meant to be able to parse that in any rational way. It's almost like the overwhelming nature of it is part of the point. Right. Right. Um, Yeah. And this movie, I feel like kind of the same way. I feel like part of the point of this is not to be able to, like parse it and write a clean five paragraph essay about what the, you know, what this movie's about. Right. I think part of the point of it is to, uh, to not be clean and to not be, you know, totally straightforward. And so in that regard, um, I think that's one of the things that I have a more difficult time with as a viewer, cause I'm so accustomed to like these quote, like great directors sort of like, having a straightforward point and having a single message that they're trying to communicate in a given scene or throughout the course mm-hmm. of the film. And I feel like this movie is not interested in that. And I sort of like am conditioned to want movies to do that to me. And so mm-hmm. uh, in this particular case, it just takes a little more work, you know, to sort of feel like you're having the same emotionally enriching experience or intellectually enriching experience that, you know, maybe a more sort of quote traditional movie would deliver. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think it's kind of risky, you know, um, in terms of if you're the filmmaker, somebody like Spike Jones, I I mean, I don't want to like pigeonhole Spike Jones, but just to kind of frame it in that way that you just did that, 
you know, a, a, a more quote unquote traditional director who kind of knows, or, or I'll pick on, I'll pick on somebody that's easier to pick on, like somebody like Ron Howard, you know, I think yeah. Ron Howard is somebody, a, a director who I picture and I can sort of, I can say this with some confidence because I recently listened to a, a director's guild um, podcast, uh, director's cut podcast episode with him. Uh-huh. But he, but he very much talks about like what the audience is supposed to feel, you know, in this scene versus mm-hmm. the next scene. It's sort of like he has an idea of this is the sad scene. And then this is the scene where they, we lift them up, you know, and then this is yeah. the scene where like they're, they're on edge because of this. And then, um, and I mean, I'm not describing anything that probably 90 plus percent of directors don't, don't have, like you always or almost always have a pretty clear sense as a, as a filmmaker of what the sort of notes are and what the, what the sort of emotional journey you're trying to take the audience on is. Right. Right. And I think there's like, I think it, it, to some degree, the point of that is, I mean, yes, it's just, it's your artistic expression, but also it's like, you're doing it in a controlled way because it's kind of a tried and true way, you know, like, right. Like for example, um, a kind of stereotypical thing that happens in films is after some really intense scene, you know, some comedic moment, right. To relieve the tension. Right. And it's not like, I mean, at some point in history, somebody maybe came up with that, but ever since then, it's been just kind of like a formula that is known that people find enjoyable. Right. Yeah. And so there's some safety in that versus presenting things in a way where it's like, how you're supposed to feel is very much up in the air. It's, right. uh, it's kind of up to you and it's going to be personalized. You know, one person's going to find this scene to be hilarious. Another's going to find it to be terrifying. Another's going to find right. it to be utterly baffling. Right. Yeah. Um, and there's not really a way that I, the filmmaker am trying to steer you. I'm just presenting stuff that's going to throw you off, you know? Right. Your reaction to that is anyone's guess. And I think that's, I think that's, I mean, I don't know if like bold might be generous because it's not necessarily about courage to me. Um, but it is definitely a higher risk sort of approach where, yeah, no doubt there are people who have watched this movie, especially because it's on Netflix, you know, and it's sort of like popped up for people and people who probably didn't even know who Charlie Kaufman was probably like, just were like, Oh, whatever, I'll check it out. Yeah. And I'm sure there are a lot of people who just like hated this movie. <laughs> right. Right. Or, and, and I think the more likely result is like, I bet you there's a lot of people who got 20 minutes into this movie and were like, I'm going to move on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. But, but I bet there's a, I bet, I bet there's a decent number of people too. Um, who yeah, like, got to think- the, you know, the scene at the parents farm and were sort of like, what is this nonsense? <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, like think about, I mean, from a, you know, you're talking about boldness and again, like I don't want to prescribe like, you know, whether, whether someone was heroic or not for making an artistic choice, but like, mm-hmm. but if you just think about what do most movies, you know, just opt to do just from in the name of like pure, like entertainment, right? Like most movies will opt to give you some kind of like whiz bang opening bit, right? Mm-hmm. To like gain your, to like get your attention, 
And then they right. can do some like exposition stuff or whatever. Yeah, I mean, again, like a tried and true formula, right? Right. Start, yeah, start in crisis. Start with something exciting and then like, and then you can go back. This movie decides to begin with a, what, something like a 30-minute car car drive. Yeah, something like that. I mean, right? it's, it's very long. <laughs> right. And it's if just- you, If you don't count the, uh, if you don't count the pickup, which is all of- 30 seconds. Right. Right. And there's a little bit of, you know, intrigue in the very beginning as far as like how, you know, the, is she being watched? Right. That kind of, you know, you can, right. 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 Um, right. But there's not, you know, there's no like whiz bang opening. It's almost like exactly the opposite. It's like, let's cut to the second act card drive, like through the countryside, but let's just do that immediately. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just it's just kind of a very like noteworthy stark difference between how this movie is choosing to operate versus like how a typical Hollywood movie like you know I feel like we were talking about directors who sort of guide you toward particular emotions right or feelings or or conclusions and I feel like sort of the opposite of this movie or like uh, Synecdoche uh, feels like somebody like David Fincher. Right. Where it's like, sure. A hundred takes. Right. This is, <laughs> I, you are, this is exactly what I want you to see. This is exactly what I want you to feel. Right. Everything is like fussed over to the nth degree. Right. This movie feels much more like, it feels much more like, you know, this is what we did. This is what we got. Right. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. on one hand, very on purpose, but on the other hand, like, not very it it doesn't feel hyper fussed over like the frames don't feel like a it's not like every frame is a painting you know what i mean right right yeah so. well no i i mean i think also part of that has to do surely has to do with what you were saying earlier about the performers not being totally sure what was going on cuz like right. i think with fincher you know, if, uh, if an actor delivers a line a certain way and it's not exactly in the, you know, it's not exactly in the frame where he wants, or they didn't deliver it exactly the way he wants, he can be like, no, it's supposed to be exactly like this, you know? Whereas in this movie, if they're like, what is this about? He's like, I'm not sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> what right. kind of notes can you give, you know? And, and it is interesting because I mean, he must've given some notes or, or at least the actors took some some really made some interesting choices, I will say, because there are definitely the performances in this movie are definitely very interesting. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, where it seems like either he gave really interesting notes, which could be Lynchian again, back to bring it to David Lynch. Right. Um, or it could just be the actors making their own choices. But like I have, I have read about, you know, actors working with David Lynch where he's just like, he can't tell them what's actually happening in a scene, but he'll right. just, he'll give them guidance as to like how they're how to supposed to be feeling. Right. Right. Um, which like a scene that comes to mind is like the, uh, the scene in Mulholland drive where the guy's like describing, you know, seeing like a man behind a dumpster or whatever, but he's just yeah. like so terrified. And that yeah. scene is like, is just so interesting because you're like, what is happening? Why is right. this guy so scared? But yeah. like the scene is scary just yeah. because of his performance. Um, 
anyway, back to back to this movie. Yeah, I uh, I agree with you. I mean, it seems it seems very organic in that way. I guess like right. there's even some there's even some like I would almost call them awkward transitions of tone. You know, to like 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 the characters sort of are somber one moment and the next they're laughing or things yeah. like that. Yeah. That are just sort of hard in the moment. They're sort of hard to make sense of. Um, uh, but they feel like, I don't know, to me, it feels like a nice, like alchemy of, of probably the, the performers kind of like doing their best to try to make sense of the material they were given, but also, also just like doing it, taking the first take or, you know, taking, or at least not spending a hundred takes on getting it perfect, but just kind of like getting something that's kind of organic and a little bit raw. And then also, and then also that serving the larger story, if you want to call it story or, you know, the larger experience. Um, So, uh, so yeah, anyway, I think, I think we've talked enough about themes because we sort of agreed that this is a movie. It's, it's a, there's many themes to be gleaned from this if you if you are of the right disposition, right? Yeah. Um, but anyway, I said the ones that stood out to me. You said the ones that stood out to you. Let's get to um, spoilers, which means best parts of the movie. Auga! That's right. Turn away if you haven't seen this movie. The spoiler and- submarine is submerging? <laughs> Emerging? Submerging. I don't know. Okay. I don't know what I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. I, I I do find it funny to think that someone would have listened to this much of this conversation without having seen the movie. But anyway, if yeah. you did, then turn it off now because we're gonna spoil stuff. Um but let's start let's talk best parts of the movie. You wanna go first? Yeah, so I, I mentioned earlier that my my probably my favorite bit was just the entire sequence at the house. And I do think I mean it's a big bit from when they enter the house. Right. There's when they arrive at the house and they take a little detour through the barn and talk about Mm -hmm. some stuff, which I think is important stuff. But I think like the arrival, the entrance of David Thewlis and Tony Collette into this movie is Mm -hmm. just like hugely interesting to me anyway. Mm -hmm. I I Mm -hmm. have, I don't really know the career of David Thewlis very well. Um, Like, but I have, but in the few things that I have seen him in, I just find him to be like this extremely interesting, odd presence. Um, And so, uh, so put it this way, like the entire time that they are preparing for and having uh, and trying to like leave after having dinner with uh, Jake's parents, um, I there was like a series of questions that I was trying to answer the entire time. Like what is happening? Right? <laughs> like why does Jake feel the way that he feels about them, which is like clearly disdainful, right? Mm-hmm. Um uh and then sort of why doesn't he want her to leave? Right. That's Mm -hmm. it seems like very subtextual that like he's just kind of taking every measure he can to like not leave that farmhouse. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so without getting into like individual lines of dialogue or anything, I just found that like trying to answer those few questions, which are big ones, um, 
just like to be a really fun game. I feel like the movie gives tons of interesting clues, maybe red herrings about what may be happening in that mm-hmm. circumstance. I certainly spent a lot of time in that part of the movie trying to figure out like the whole, you know, capital letters, like what is happening in this movie kind of mm-hmm. thing, which by the mm-hmm. end, I think I'd sort of given up on. I was like, I don't know that there's anything that you <laughs> meant to believe actually is like quote happening in this movie necessarily. Um, but I, at that, but at that stage in the game, I was just very intrigued to figure out what all of this sort of unspoken, like wordless glances between them meant. There's like mm-hmm. tons of, subtle like head shakes or head nods that I feel like are meant to communicate something between Jake and his parents. And so just that entire like puzzle, the unpacking of all of that was like a really fun uh, exercise for me. What about you? What was your, what yeah. were some of your favorite parts? Um, well, I'm definitely with you. I think that whole middle section was pretty amazing. Um, you know, I, I think as it went on, it sort of starts, it, it, it's bizarre f- from the beginning, right? But yeah. you kind of already know it will be because the because the car ride was already a little strange and you were getting tastes of it. But, um, but from like the beginning of, you know, why are the parents taking so long to come downstairs? Yep. What's the deal with the basement door? Yeah, yep. You know, it's all... Um, it just, it just, you know, I love a good intrigue and yeah. it just, it just definitely makes you just wonder what the heck is going on. Like you said, I mean, I think probably, I don't know if this is actually the first moment, but I, I feel like the first moment that we enter the territory of like, um, true sort of s- s- surreality yeah. Is when she looks at the picture and thinks that it's a picture of her. Yeah. Which, which I remember being just, I mean, I know it's just a choice of picture basically, but I was like, they did that really well. Where yeah. it's like, where it's like, she looks at it and it's like, that looks like me as a kid. And then it like cuts away and cuts back. And then it looks like him as a kid, but you, but they do kind of look similar, you know? Yeah. yeah. The way they, the way they pulled that off, I was very impressed with. Yeah. Um, but I feel like that might've been a bit of the turning point where it goes from just like, all of this is weird, but ex- but potentially explainable, right. you know, yeah, yeah, to, yeah. Oh no, something, something just happened there. That's just like straight up, not like natural, you know, you know, you know what that moment was for me, uh, what? when she gets a phone call from, Oh, that's right. And from it's, it's her Yvonne and, uh-huh. Uh, she's like, it's fine. I already know what it's about. I don't need to answer the phone. Uh-huh. And all of them are like, you should answer the phone, right? Uh-huh. Like they like very uh-huh. they pressure her very hard to answer the phone, and then she answers it or she listens to the voicemail is what it is. Mm-hmm. And, and it it's is the, the man's it, voice. It's like a old. It's like a man's voice, and she reacts like it's totally normal, and mm-hmm. then like hangs up, and then like goes and sits down, right? Yeah, and it's yep. just sort of like oh, this movie has now tipped into like territory where I don't think I'm going to be able to explain why characters are doing the things that they are doing, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like that was the moment where I was like, I I sort of like let go of my intention of deciphering what was like, what is happening in this movie? And instead pivoted to like, okay, this is not meant to be parsed and figured out the way that I'm trying to figure it out. Now that didn't mean I was going to- Not literally. 
for sure. Not literally, right? right. It, this is like she doesn't have a friend who's an old man <laughs> who's right. muttering the words that we heard in the beginning of the movie, right? Like it's not the prestige. There's not this isn't a puzzle that I can assemble and figure out, right? Yeah, it's 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 different than that. Well, I mean, I guess I guess my my only slight disagreement there is like when I when you say it's not the prestige, it's not a puzzle that I can figure out. To me, the way I would put it is it's not a puzzle that is, it's not that kind of puzzle, right? Yes. It might, it might still make sense, but it's not going to make sense in that way. Like it's playing, it's playing a different game. If, it, well, if see, it's playing a game at all, it's playing a different well, game. Well, a puzzle implies that like uh, a, a movie that sort of is the, I think most prototypical version of like a satisfactory puzzle is one that like, basically in some way shape or form gives you all the pieces and then you need to assemble them right in your brain right i this movie i was like oh i don't think it's going to give me the pieces that i want right Mm. that'll help me like put it together into some perfect thing it's like oh this is the quote right answer you know what i mean Mm. like this movie was like i don't believe there to be a totally right answer that one could just figure out by just applying their brain power to the pieces that the movie doles out. Right. That's sort of the difference that I'm describing. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. I think you, you could be right, but I mean, so, and and I don't want us to get too derailed on this point, but like, I would say an arguable, I don't know if this is a good example. I'm going to spoil a different movie right now, which is life of pi. Have you seen that movie? Yes. Okay. So like, I would say arguably, uh, a movie like Life of Pi. Let's just imagine. Let's just imagine we both think that's a great movie. I don't know if you actually think it's a good movie or not. I don't actually. I only saw it once, and I don't remember it that clearly. But yeah, I'm going to spoil it though by saying, like Life of Pi. It turns out when you get to the end of the movie that you know the tiger wasn't a tiger. The animals weren't these animals so like the things that you thought you saw happening were not literally happening right what you were actually seeing was sort of like a representation of what did actually happen right right Right. um and and it does make sense but like it doesn't make sense if you think of the scenes playing out as literally what actually happened right? right so so i would i would say like that's a puzzle I would say that's an example of a puzzle that actually the pieces are given to you, but they're just not pieces of the shape or form that you expect in a typical jigsaw puzzle. And you have to put them together a different way than you normally would. Right. Um, So I think, I guess my point being, I do think it's possible for, uh, if I put myself in the time and place of watching this movie at the moment when she's answering the phone call and it's like a guy talking. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm like, Oh, this is definitely not a literal movie. I still didn't think I wouldn't say at that point or necessarily even, even now do I feel like the movie doesn't give you all the pieces to put together what it's really about. I think it might, that doesn't mean I figured out what it's actually about. Cause I don't feel like I totally did. Right. But um, anyway, I just, I'm just trying to make the distinction that I do think there's like a kind of puzzle that a movie can be that's still non-literal, still symbolic, still like all representational 
and it can not make literal sense, but still make some sort of other kind of sense if you put the pieces together a certain way. Yeah, um, I, I think I think the idea there that is that I would and again, we don't need to like belabor the puzzle metaphor, but like I think a movie like this gives you a bunch of pieces and you could assemble them in many different like defensible mm. ways. Yeah. Right? And it's like and one might look at the way that I construct them and one might look at the way that you construct them and say, like, those are both pretty good ways of using those pieces, right? They mm-hmm. don't seem, neither seems wrong, right? Right, right. And I feel like there are other movies where it's like, no, 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 like, you're reading it wrong. That's not what happened in the movie. This other thing happened because you weren't paying close enough attention, right? And there's right, like a, right, right. a more right answer. And so mm-hmm. in this movie, I feel like it's, it's, and that's, I was initially playing, the way I was watching that dinner sequence was I was playing the the game where there's a right answer like one mm-hmm. right answer and then it's like oh there might be more than there might one. be more than one sure yeah right i think uh, speaking of that phone call um because that did that did bring back that memory for me it, isn't it also the case that she looks at who's calling her and it's lucy it says lucy on her phone right which is it, like supposedly her name from from earlier in the movie yes except her name changes repeatedly her name does change but it's but it's always some well it's mostly some variation of lucy i I think it goes way off the deep end at some point it's a totally different name yeah but they they go with lucy they go with louisa they go with lucia yeah i think i mean earlier in the movie it seemed like it was like it's something like lucy but I, right. I agree. I think later on, it's like Michelle or something. It's like changes right. totally. Well, and do you know what her character's name is in like the official like cast list? Young woman. Young woman, right? Yeah, like, yeah. oh, and okay, yeah. So we'll we'll get to we'll get to that in a minute. Actually, I have a very like I don't know if it's a best part or a worst part of the movie for me. Um, but but I guess I guess at that at that point in the dinner, I think. I think that we had reason to believe her name was Lucy yeah. because, because I think he had only referenced that one, um, what was it? A poem about a, a woman named Lucy or something. Yes. Yes. And then he compares it to her. He's like, you know, it, it reminds me of you like, cause of the right. name basically. But then, um, so I think, I think that's the only variation of her name that we'd heard up till that point. And then for right. her to look at her phone and it says Lucy, you're just right. like, that's strange. I mean, I know in the real world, two people, two friends could have the same name, but like in a movie, that's right. a, that's a choice, you know? Well, and it's like, isn't it like 10 She's like calls a million missed or whatever? Calls. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, did you want to get to something that was best slash worst part of the movie? Well, it's just a... It, it, it's on the topic of her being young woman and I have a, it's a very mm-hmm. specific thing. Um, and so I don't know if, where it really belongs. Uh, so I might as well just bring it up now, unless there's another sort of best part of the movie that I, cause actually there's plenty of other parts of the movie that I found quite great. So I don't want to like, Oh yeah. Those. Well, let's, let's just go, just talk about what you wanted to talk about. I think this, I think this latter half of the episode is going to be potentially pretty sprawling. Pretty freewheeling. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Okay. So something that like, I I was almost surprised at my, how strongly I reacted to it. So um, we, we should talk about the ending at some point in more concrete detail, but like the movie ends and let's be clear. I have, I feel and felt the entire movie like Jesse Buckley's 
character, Lucy or whatever her name is, is the main character of this film. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, Mm -hmm. and so the credits start to roll at the end of this movie. And it's like, you know, written and directed by Charlie Calvin. I'm like, great. And it's like, Jesse Plemons is like the number mm-hmm. one person on the call is like the number one actor on the cast list. And mm-hmm. I was almost like, like um, offended or uh, like bothered by that. And I, uh-huh. I almost felt like it was like a choice, but it was like part of the movie uh-huh. to put him first. Right. Mm-hmm. And because it's, because like in some ways, like um, this movie is about, like a woman uh, being basically smarter and better <laughs> than like the man that she's with. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and at the end he gets like <laughs> applauded by a uh-huh. crowd full of people for being, and he's singing a song from Oklahoma, the musical Oklahoma that is sung by the bad guy in Oklahoma mm-hmm like about mm-hmm. how he's like going to get the girl back. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. but he doesn't, that's not what happens in Oklahoma. Right. Like Judd loses in Oklahoma. Right. And, and then it ends with like everybody like applauding him. Right. The movie ends the, the like the movie you're watching ends and it's like mm-hmm. Jesse Plemons first uh-huh. guy on the call sheet, then uh-huh. Jesse Buckley. And I'm like, Am I being trolled by the movie right now? Like it oh, felt like a, it, it felt like it was part of the point was like he shouldn't be first but he is. Right. Right. So I I get what you're saying, but here's my alternate take on what you're describing and I think it's less charitable to the movie. Uh but it but it it goes full circle back to our expectations of the movie. Something I forgot to mention that I was looking forward to about this movie was like from the trailer and stuff, I, I thought, Oh, this is going to be really interesting. Cause it's a, a female lead, right? Which Charlie Kaufman's movies, especially as yeah. time has gone on yeah. are so like in the head of a male protagonist, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, to the point where you could say that a weak spot for him is his female characters. I mean, He's definitely like a male who has a male perspective and the female characters tend to be like kind of, I don't know how to, I don't know how to say it, but you know, if you think of like eternal sunshine, even, yeah, you know, she's probably one of the most sort of fully fleshed out female characters he's had, but it's so much about his perspective, you know, right. and about her as the girlfriend and like this, you this know, idea. it's, it's, yeah, it's a, it's about his his views of her. And anyway, I just thought it would be interesting that this movie is, you know, starring a woman and it's from the woman's perspective. <laughs> and for me, by the time the movie was over, I was like, nope, it was an illusion. <laughs> he yeah. doesn't know how to tell a movie from a female character's perspective. This was secretly about the guy, you know. Right, right. And all of this has to do with the guy's memories and sense of loss and whatever but it's like 
it was like, it almost felt like he tried to tell it from the woman's perspective <laughs> and then like, just like, couldn't stay there, you know? Yeah. By the, and it was like, no, this is what this is. It's really about this, this guy and, you know, his like, what he wishes could have happened, what's happened in his life. Um, and it's all classic Charlie Kaufman stuff by the end. You know, right. It's really just like, uh, it's like, I think there's a good deal of self-loathing in there yeah, and feeling like a failure and yeah. feeling like, and feeling like there was some woman that you loved that would never, you know, that was too good for you. You didn't deserve her or something. And it's like, so, <laughs> I mean, I, I already said I loved the movie, but at the same time, I'm like, this is just so freaking self-indulgent. You know, yeah. Charlie Kaufman, like you can't stop writing about yourself. You right. can't. And this one is based on a book. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I really feel like Charlie Kaufman's like trapped in like right. his own brain and will never escape it. But um, so anyway, that's my take. I think I think the fact that Jesse Plemons came at the end. I mean, you could be right. And I could be the one who's being uncharitable to the movie um, that it was sort of a point, you know, but. To me, it's like, no, I think the main character in the movie was secretly Jake. And the fact that it sort of starts off from her perspective and stays there for a long time is really just kind of a trick almost. Like it's right. not really about her. Yeah, it's funny. I, I think I'm going to go the other way. Like I put it this way. like You want to stick to it being about that, her? Yeah, in some ways it struck me like um, the closing bit where he's like accepting an award uh and gives word for word the speech from a beautiful mind right uh-huh, uh-huh. and oh, then, i didn't even pick up on that oh no it is absolutely word for word uh-huh russell crowe's speech at the end of a beautiful mind <laughs> right amazing uh it, it, it was like i was blown away i was like uh-huh. what movie has the balls to like, well, quote I definitely him. picked up on some plagiarism earlier in the movie. No, I, I think, I mean, I think that's a lot. I think that's actually a big part of the movie. And, and in fact, uh-huh. uh, Jesse Buckley's character talks about this at some point where she's like, we don't have original thoughts. We just mm-hmm. like have references to other things that we've seen that we believe right. are, are interesting thoughts, but they're just us quoting other things at one another. Right. Yep. Like, yep. And I feel like the end of the movie is exactly like living that out and basically mm-hmm. saying, that like it him right like jake is a person who like consumes all of this stuff right david foster wallace and painting and poetry and musicals right mm-hmm. and and a beautiful mind and just like <laughs> spits it back out and gets awards yeah. for it right mm-hmm. um and so uh so like the fact that that was the closing bit, a plagiarized speech from a beautiful mind and like a unpopular song from the musical Oklahoma followed by applause. Right. And everybody he's ever met in like old person paint, like face paint, like clearly like as a mask. Right. And then it's like, go to credits, lead act, like first on the call sheet, Jesse Plemons. I was like, this is part of the movie. This is part of the point that like, mm-hmm. he shouldn't be here, but he is right. Mm-hmm. To me, Like that's how I read it. Now I'm sure like, I look forward to being wrong. And then saying like the movie studio, Netflix is like, 
No, he was just like the most popular actor on the call sheet, so we put him first, <laughs> right? Like, well, um, I think Tony Collette's the most popular. Maybe so she should have been first. Yes. <laughs> so it's like at any rate, like that was something that I was like galled by, and then and like as I thought about it for a hot minute, same I, was, time. Like, I was like deeply impressed as like at like the commitment to the bit, you know. Uh huh. Uh-huh. So so. At any- so- so okay, here's a question. What do you think the like happened in the movie? Do you have an answer to that? How would I what do I think like, like the general like, plot of this movie is? Or yeah, like, not plot, I guess, because we're I think we're in a line that there's not really like a you can't really describe the plot, but like do you think this whole movie was a representation of X or like a was it all about X? You know what I'm you know what I'm saying? Like what right. like what like who who were they? Who was the janitor guy at the end? Right. Like, what does all that mean? Okay. Do you have an interpretation? I, I have an interpretation, and it's kind of the like I think it's one that I like developed sort of in the middle of the movie. And by the time the movie ended, I think I was probably just looking for things that like reinforced that position. So mm-hmm. I don't I haven't like red teamed this right like i haven't like interrogated this with a critical eye but okay. my basic read is that jake is the janitor mm-hmm. the, they are the same and the movie like the experience they're having especially at the farmhouse and especially at tulsi town is this sort of um this lens through which you can view an entire life, right? Mm-hmm. And in one space, physical space, right? And there was a point in time where I was like, are these places magic? Like, are they literally like in the world of the film, like magical places where like time doesn't move or time is collapsed mm-hmm. or something? And I don't, I don't have an answer to that question, but that was sort of like, but that's the, that's the function that those spaces serve is to allow us to sort of observe all things happening through time in one place, right? Mm-hmm. And so in the farmhouse, Jake can be young, right? Jake can, mm-hmm. um, like, can, like, he can view his parents or present his parents in sort of whatever light is convenient to him. All of, like, he's still, like, there the entire future is full of potential, right? And he can be anything, right? Mm -hmm. And the high school represents like this terminus where it's like, it's all roads lead to here, right? Mm -hmm. doesn't matter how Mm -hmm. long you want to hang out in the past or like, or in sort of the world where before you've made your choices and before you've squandered your potential, right? Like you eventually end up in this high school, like, and you know exactly how many classrooms, locker rooms, executive offices, you know, like mm-hmm. there are in this high school because you've cleaned it 10,000 times, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's sort of like how I view the trajectory of the movie. And in so, so in some ways, like I agree with you, like it is kind of about him, right? Like we don't know what Jesse Buckley's like, future looks like per se right um and in some ways like i'm thinking of ending things 
like the, 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 the thought, the sentiment is like, that's what's going to happen. She's going to end things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because if she doesn't, she's going to end up in the, like figuratively speaking, in the audience while this mediocre man recites lines from a beautiful mind at her, right? And like is forced to clap at his sort of, you know, failure upward, right? Um, and so I don't like, and so I feel like we don't know what happens to her. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, like, I don't believe that we see her as like an old person. I feel like we see him as an old person, like t- sort of full right. of regret, you know, an old man full of regret. Right. Yep, yep. Um, and that we are sort of the, the final bits of the movie are just about like kind of how their relationship ended or why it ended. That's sort of my rough high level read. How different is yours? Um, not too different. Um, just a minor detail. I want to, I want to state that I, I think was kind of cool. I don't know if you had this thought or not, but pretty early in the movie, the thought occurred to me, like he might be the janitor. Cause you know, we saw there's like scenes of like seeing it cuts to this janitor a few times, like throughout the movie. Right. And I feel like it's like clearly like there's some significance to this janitor. Probably it's Jake when he's older, you know, something to that effect. But something that I found very interesting was just the way that Jake talked in the movie. I was almost like, is he trying to just like have the cadence of, of an old man? Like it sort of seemed like the way he talked was like an old man sort of way of Mm -hmm. talking, you know, just like more pauses, Uh just like slower and drawn out and really kind of unnatural for a man of his age, basically. Right. Right. Um, So I just, I just thought I'd call that out. Did you have that thought at all watching the movie? You know, I, uh, I didn't necessarily think of him as like his speech emulating the speech of an older man, but there's like another sort of train of thought that I was on throughout the movie that I don't really have a good, I don't think the movie puts a ton of like evidence on the table to support this reading. So this is just like a, just a thought, but something about the way he talks and when he chooses to talk uh, largely seems to interrupt her as she is like cresting into like some final destructive thought about their relationship. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. He tends to interrupt her thinking like as she's about to like sort of come to the conclusion, like we should break up. Right. 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 Um, yep. he'll like interrupt her with some non sequitur kind of thought. Right. Yeah. Um, and I feel like somehow his speech was like designed to prevent confuse that. and interrupt and prevent her from like actualizing her final conclusive thoughts on things. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was something very sort of, uh, um, like I don't know, like insidious or very sly about his speech that struck me mm. as being really um, designed to 
distract her from what she was trying to achieve. Yeah. Um, no, totally. I mean, I think that's consistent with, so I'll tell you what, what sort of my kind of loose interpretation of the movie was. And then what I read about that is different. Cause I'm guessing you, it sounds like you haven't read any like explanations I have of the movie. Nothing. Okay. Um, well, so what, what, what I came away with from it with was that basically I thought that most of what we were seeing were his memories, but he was like, we were seeing the effects of a man kind of like slipping into dementia where his memories are becoming fragmented and like, he's having trouble connecting the things that happened in his life together. And they're becoming more like these flashes where, and, and we're, and at the same time of them being disconnected from each other, we're seeing the phenomenon of like details from unrelated parts of his life getting swapped out for each other, which is a thing that, that does happen. And I think, um, maybe to, to connect this to something personal for you and me, what it made me think of was that our grandmother in the final years of her life started having this recurring, like waking nightmare of thinking that this gang was, you know, kidnapping family members. Um, and a family friend explained to us that the, the group she was talking about was from a Chinese comic book. Yeah. And so to, to me, that, that was sort of like a very clear, in my mind, like crystallization of the, an example of the kind of thing that we were seeing in the movie. Yeah. Of like, he's combining things in, that happened in his life that didn't actually happen together, you know? Right. And, and not just things that happened in his life, but like movies he's seen and things he's read. And we're right. seeing, we're seeing like, a movie version of the deterioration of a person's mind where they start the information that's in their brain is not like held together by a consistent lattice, you know, any longer it's, it's pieces are falling apart and recombining just sort of haphazardly as a result of their dementia. That's what I thought kind of the movie was. Yeah. And I thought that I thought that it was like a an intentional misdirect to try to tell it from her perspective to sort of basically almost like as almost like a, a mechanic to posit like, what if you were a character living through this? Like you're from your perspective, you are a consistent sort of consciousness, but you're you're experiencing this fragmentation. You right. know, of an of an of a reality that is formed by another person's memories. Um, that was sort of my takeaway, and so uh, it's not like I could have fully explained every detail of the movie, right? But that's what I thought was basically happening. Um, but what I've read is a little different from that because, and I don't know if this is what actually literally happens in the book, uh, but what I've read is that it's actually a little bit more like what actually happened is that this guy, Jake, he never had a relationship with this woman Mm -hmm. and that 
what actually happened in his life was that that story she tells of them at trivia night is like an actual story, but he never got up the nerve to like talk to her. And, and that apparently the reveal or like the tell there is like in the dinner conversation with his parents, she mentions that like he actually never got up and talks to her. But then the parents were like, one of the parents is like, but wait, but you said that, that like, then he, you did talk to him or something like that. Right. And she, and she's, and she like has to correct her story, but like, basically she says like, he never even talked to me. Right. Right. Well, she even um, toward the end of the movie, when she's talking to the janitor and he, he's like, uh, she's like, have you seen Jake? And the mm-hmm. janitor's like, can you describe him? And she describes right. like, he's nothing to me. We never right. talked. He, we never did anything. Can you, have you yep. seen anybody of that description? Right. Yep. Yep. Like, yep. He's, he's like a mosquito. Like, it's like asking me to describe a mosquito that bit me 40 years ago. Right. Right. So, yeah. So I think that's another piece of evidence in, in favor of this interpretation of like, and this also ties together with you describing how he always is cutting her off when she's broaching the subject of ending things or like when she's like you said, sort of like approaching that, that's mental space because like, I guess this interpretation of the movie is that this is an old man with this one sort of singular regret in his life. Yeah. Uh, like a, what, a, what if question that he's never been able to shake of like, could, if I had just gotten the nerve up to talk to this woman and he, and he invents this whole, you know, relationship with her, but like, even he can't allow his fantasy to like get right. past this point because he, he knows it didn't happen, but she keeps sort of like in this fantasy of his trying to bring it up and he keeps trying to, to cut it off at the pass. Right. Um, but that basically that that's, that's the premise of the movie. According to these things I read, I sort of, I mean, I'm, I'm fine with it, you know, whatever it is, it is. But for yeah. me, for me, I think like it almost, what I don't like about that version of it is it seems to sort of um, like undermine her character even further to the point of like, not only is she not top billing, you know, right. She's like not even really a real person. Totally. She's completely a creation of his mind. Like I prefer the idea. I kind of prefer my interpretation of the fragmented memories because it's like, she was a person, you know? Right. And she is a person and she was important in his life, but he, he just kind of can't keep it all together anymore. And I guess the only thing I have as far as the movie providing some evidence for that is the fact that, you know, the one scene where his father has Alzheimer's. Yeah. And so he directly talks about memory sort of not working so great. Um, yeah. To me, that was like a bit of a nod towards like, this could be what's happening with him too. Yeah. But um, anyway, but yeah, I mean, I think it's like, if it's like just a woman that he never got the nerve to talk to, that's her whole character. Yeah. <laughs> then, then the fact that the movie's sort of, told from her perspective for much of the movie is just like a, I don't I mean, like, what is that? Who is that character? Yeah. I, exist, you know? I have a hard time accepting the premise 
that all of the, cause there's tons of internal monologue, right. That she has going on throughout the movie. And I have a hard time accepting the premise that that is all like his creation and that yeah. he can, cause I think that she is like, I don't know, an interesting character with thoughts that are more nuanced and sophisticated sometimes than his. Right. Oh, for sure. And she's in, much more interesting than him for most right. of the movie. Right. And so like the idea that he somehow in his sort of dementia is able to construct a person who's smarter than him just seems like not possible. You know what I mean? Like, um, I don't know. Well, like, we well, joke smarter about than him. Sorry, go ahead. Go, go ahead. Well, just like we joke about Aaron Sorkin scripts, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like nobody's that smart, right? right. Nobody, nobody has that sort nobody's of that like, articulate, en- yeah. encyclopedic, articulate sort of approach to 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 just everyday chat. Um, and that's sort of like, I suppose that it would be possible for him to, with decades of hindsight, construct this imaginary woman who is like a more sophisticated, interesting person than he ever was. Right. But I don't know. It just still like, there's something about that. That's distasteful to me because it, to your point, like diminishes or eradicates her as like a character and just like, she just becomes like a construct that he's created. And I don't know, there's something less satisfying about that to me. What were you going to say? Yeah. Uh, I don't remember what I was going to say just now, but, but I think I will say one more thing that adds to, I feel like sort of supports my kind of interpretation that she is real and that his, what we're seeing is, is more, you know, the the fragmentation of memory um, is, uh, is the scene. It's very brief, but where they just swap her out for a completely different actress. Right. Remember, and it's and it's clearly the actress who played the female in love interest in this in this Robert Zemeckis movie, <laughs> <laughs> this make believe Robert Zemeckis movie, which is an amazing little yeah, that was moment. a great touch directed by Robert Zemeckis. <laughs> um, but like to me, that was like okay, this is um, this is like you know very late stage dementia of like the woman that you loved you're kind of you're confusing her with like this character in a movie in a love story right because because you know it's sort of like your brain you can sort of understand how it might happen right your brain is kind of like losing connections the 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 connective tissue between between things is being severed is like eroding but you still have like this love story kind of like drawer you know in your mental shelves and there's this movie that you remember a love story from and there's your own love story and they're just kind of mixing together for you right and like i guess what doesn't make a ton of sense to me is why would you have that detail where you change out the actress from the movie if the movie's all about his regrets about this specific woman like it doesn't seem like he would he would forget which woman he has regrets about, you know, unless, unless the movie's both, right. It could be like, 
regret of never talking to this woman combined with his memories all kind of disintegrating. Um, but to me, it felt much more like it, it was sort of almost like a tragic detail, you know, of, of this guy's sort of recollection of his life is, is eroding to such a degree that this important person is being substituted for this much less, you know, right. Totally irrelevant character just briefly. And then it's back, you know, but, um, to me that was in keeping with the kind of broken memory interpretation. You know, like something like, as we talk about this more, I actually like am enjoying this movie more and more, uh, because I'm increasingly inclined, and maybe this is me, like, um, you know, having to, trying to have my cake and eat it too, which is probably a useful metaphor, actually, for what I'm about to say. Um, like, there's a version of, re- there's a way you can read this film where you, like, allow yourself to have two, like, incompatible readings of the film simultaneously, Right. Mm -hmm. Where you're like, they were in a relationship probably briefly and she, you know, dumped him like early. Right. Right. And like, and then he's like living, he's, he's remembering like the one time that they spent, you know, the limited time they spent any time together as an example. Mm -hmm. Right. And maybe some portion of the thoughts that she represents in the car like that we're hearing her have in the car in the house or whatever like were you know like air quotes like real like happened in some way right and then there's a version of the film where to your point like they're nothing to each other she's a memory to him and he is nothing to her right Mm -hmm. and i kind of like the idea of like sort of approaching the film as if both things are true somehow. And it uh-huh. like, um, because it's a movie, it'll like interpretation is like, comes with it as like a thing mm-hmm. that you can do. And the, the film, like this is one of the things about movies. That's great. Is like, there is no reality. It's just what's on the screen and what's mm-hmm. like, and what you receive in your mind and if you want to have two simultaneous readings of the thing at the same time it's like there's no rule saying you can't do that and then like um my you know this is a sort of tangential piece of evidence like supporting my reading of this but like there is a dog in this movie that is (laughs) that is both alive and dead right Mm. like there is a dog that she pets that later is like in an urn, there's an urn labeled right. Jimmy. Right? right. 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 And it's like, I sort of, uh, I sort of just like that idea of the movie, like aggressively wanting to be two things at once. Now I'm sure like if, you know, if you could dig inside Charlie Kaufman's head, he'd be like, no, you are just wrong. <laughs> like one of those things. Is, I mean, not, I don't know that he would ever actually say that. Cause I think this probably is the type of movie where the creators will like, aggressively never tell you what it's about right right um but i don't know the more i think about it the more i like that idea that it's actually multiple 
competing incompatible realities simultaneously. Yeah. Well, it's, it's certainly a movie that can support that. <laughs> right. Uh, I would say, um, you know what, <laughs> this doesn't really have a place. This isn't where this goes in this conversation, but it just popped into my head cause you brought up the, the dog. I guess it made me think of the, uh, the pigs, but I did think a delightfully like disturbing and funny moment was when she's like, everything in this dinner yes. comes from this farm. And <laughs> then she just looks at the ham and it's just like yeah. an amazing little. Yeah, totally. You know, little moment of like, Oh <laughs> yeah. There's some, that... yeah. The food in this movie is like quite gross generally. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Even like the, uh, the the whatever the the burrs the that they drink oh the cake oh, the is disgust yeah. the cake is disgusting <laughs> the log right? yeah it it looks absolutely horrible um uh-huh. but like even the you know the burrs which are like blizzards that they get um just like the close up insert shots of those drinks like melting like uh-huh. you know it just everything is so unappealing in this movie. So yes, I, I think that, you know, yes, the, the ham call out, uh, visually <laughs> was great. Um, but just like, even the way then that like the ice cream melts on her fingers mm-hmm. and she like loudly, like licks her fingers to get it off. There's just something about consumption of food in this movie. That's designed to be gross baby food mm-hmm. on the nightgown. Right. Oh, yeah. Which, yeah. which you don't know what it is for a few seconds, but they, before they tell you what it is and it just seems right. utterly gross. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, there's something very sort of uh, repellent about the, the cuisine. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, all right. So we've talked about our interpretations of the movie. Oh, I mean, I guess, you know, normally a segment we do is fix the movie do you want to talk about any kind of gripes with the movie that you would like to address if you could? Uh, no, I mean like the only, the only track that, um, that I'll sort of humor for just a moment is this. I, there was literally a point in time when I was watching this movie where I was like, there is going to be a mind reading like subplot in this movie where oh yeah yes where like because of the way he like interrupted her at all those specific moments mm. mm-hmm. and the way he communicated like with uh, with glances and with like the most subtle of like head movements with his parents mm-hmm. i was like i was like is this a family of telepaths like <laughs> they seem to be able to communicate really sort of uh, intense thoughts to one another wordlessly. And in my Mm -hmm. mind, and in my in my mind, because of the way that he tended to uh, interrupt her and the way that his family members, his parents tended to like, did you notice the way that respond to him? Well, did you notice that there were several times in the dialogue where, they will volunteer a piece of information that they can't possibly have before the person finishes the sentence. Did you notice that? No, I didn't notice. Do you have an example? uh, I wish I could remember the exact dialogue. Like, 
Um, I think there's uh, a sequence where Jesse Buckley is talking about how they met at a bar and uh, it's, and I'm probably getting the specific wrong, but she's like, we we met at a bar and it was, and then like Tony Collette before she, before Jesse Buckley finishes the sentence, she's like, Oh, trivia night. Right. Like Mm. Jake loves Mm. trivia. Right. And it's just like, wait, you should, you should not have been able to finish that sentence the way that you did. And it happens more than once where the characters like jump on each other's lines before they've even finished a thought. So like Mm -hmm. there was a point in time where I was like, this is going to be a movie about mind readers. This is going to be great. (laughs) Right. Um, And so it, 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 it wasn't that obviously. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Um, But there's a part of me that like would like to see that movie, you know? Uh, and <laughs> right, so that, where it's not revealed until maybe very late in the movie that like that's two what thirds, Yeah, two-thirds of the way through. It's a cool idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be an interesting twist. Um, so anyway, obviously that wasn't the thing. Um, no. But I was sort of like waiting for it. I was like, it's going to come out that like <laughs> he has been like basically invading her mind for the entire mm. movie and is like manipulating her because he like can he- listen to what she's thinking, right? Um, well, by the by, the writer of being John Malkovich, that wouldn't be such a stretch. And I liked it. I liked it as like a really sort of um, uh, like sort of scary sort of premise, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, but then you know that doesn't really like jive at all. It hasn't really have much to do with the concept of time, which is like extremely prevalent. And, and like front and center in the movie and so i like sort of abandoned my whole like mind reader theory but it, yeah but to my point being in this podcast is like that would be a pretty cool movie though <laughs> yeah no i agree with you i like that idea um but yeah for this movie i mean i think i think those details do sort of they they make a, a certain kind of sense given what it turns out this movie actually was, which is a lot of what we're seeing is, I think in any interpretation that we've talked about, you know, we definitely know that we're seeing something at least call it through the lens of like his memory. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So if that's the case, then you don't really have to be a mind reader. You just have to like, it's, it's more that we're seeing the past in a way that, you know, he is reconstructed in his brain. Right. So, right. Right. Um, uh, but yeah, I don't really have a ton about the movie that I would fix. I mean, I think, I think the main thing that I sort of do find maybe not irritating, maybe just, um, it's, it's, it's not even, I mean, it wouldn't even be fair to call it disappointing. It's more just like I had, no, I think maybe I would call it disappointing because I was, I was looking forward to, as I said earlier, you know, Charlie Kaufman actually telling a story from the woman's perspective. Yeah. And so I don't think I could really fix the movie by changing that because I think it's fundamental to what this movie is, that her character isn't what you think she is. She's not as central as you think. Right. right? But it's, that yeah, remains her, one of my main gripes with the movie. She, she's extremely central, but it's more like her what you think is potentially her point of view like mm-hmm. isn't yeah. right it's somebody else's imagining of what her point of view might have been right yeah and and you know what's weird is 
like, I guess it is a fix the movie thing because when I think about what the movie was doing and as I started to, you know, understand that it wasn't like a linear story, it wasn't a literal story. A lot of it was like fragmented memories and such. I feel like you could have totally done this movie where you keep cutting to an old woman, you know, and like, it could have been her memories that were all, you know, that, that we could have had a, a version of her like sense of loss or regret or dementia or, you know, or resentment or whatever sort of feelings you wanted to visit in that same way, using the same kind of mechanisms, but it could have really been about her. Not, it didn't have to be about him. But this is fun. If you take that reading, this is fundamentally a movie about a person who has sort of like squandered their life. Yeah. Right. And I don't think the character that she portrays is the type of person who makes those kinds of, who who ends up in the long run making enough of those mistakes. Like she makes enough good choices to get out of this situation. It seems to me. Right. Well, she does except that I think the movie sets up, you know, um, it's called, I'm thinking of ending things, but through much of the movie, she's not able to do it. And she has a lot of inner dialogue or inner monologue, I should say about how, like you said earlier, it's easier to just say, yes, it's easier to like, let things keep going. Right. Right. So that, I mean, I'm just, I'm speculating as to what a totally like alternate universe version of this movie could have been, but it could have been actually about a woman who just allowed herself to stay in this relationship. Yeah. 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 For sure. That she didn't find fulfilling. Right. And never found, you know, the opportunity or never kind of like took the opportunity to actually end things and, and pursue something that would have been, would have brought her more happiness. Right. Right. That would have been right. an interesting angle. Yeah. Could have taken. Yep. But you know, old dog, new tricks, Charlie Kaufman's not going <laughs> to write, not going to write that. Maybe he will one day, but this wasn't that movie. Anyway. Um, we've talked a lot about this movie. What do you think? Would you beam this movie up? What else have we beamed up this year? What else have I beamed up this year? Palm Springs. I think you beamed up Palm Springs. I think I beamed up the five bloods. Does that sound right? Yes. Those both sound correct. Prior um, to that. I don't know. I definitely don't think we, <laughs> we didn't beam up extraction. Uh, we didn't beam up the old guard. We didn't be- beam up Bill and Ted. No. Uh, yeah, you'd have to go back a ways. Did, did we beam know. up? Did we beam up onward? Oh, probably. Yeah. D- did we beam up the invisible and the man? invisible man? The invisible man too, I think. Okay. At least I feel like we must have because that movie was oh and, sweet. And you and you did beam up Vast of Night, right? Did I? No, I don't think so. Or did neither? Neither of us did, and it was like, but that's a I good one. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. So in that company. Invisible Man, onward, Black, onward, <laughs> right? Palm Springs for me, Five Bloods for you. Does this movie belong in that same conversation as like a truly like a really special movie that really deserves your attention? 
and like we really think is gonna delight our astronaut up in space with its what I feel you like think? you I feel like you do. I feel like you do. This is a gift that keeps on giving, right? Like I'm <laughs> All right. I was I was actually leaning no, but just your enthusiasm just now tips me back over to yes. Let's do it. We beamed Sorry, that, was, that was the worst button sound design I've done so we'll far. have to we'll get a technician to take a look at the button later. Hold on, I'm licking my lips. There we go. I oh, did it's it. weird that licking your lips fixed the button. <laughs> uh, yeah. The button, <laughs> it's a very complicated button involving yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the moisture in the room. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I definitely, I would say I loved this movie. I, I, I don't know why I was leaning no. I think it's sort of, I think, I think Charlie Kaufman's just one of those filmmakers that's kind of like hard to compare yeah. His movies almost feel like in their own category. I feel like similar like with like Wes Anderson, you know? Right. Where it's almost like for in a typical year, I'd be like, so these were the top, you know, five movies of the year. And also there was this Charlie Kaufman movie <laughs> this year. <laughs> right. right. Like it doesn't it, feel like it belongs in the same list, but yeah. Um, well, it just doesn't, no. it doesn't lend itself to be evaluated in the same ways that most movies typically do. Right. Like, yeah. If you were, you know, the same thing, like the things that most movies have, this movie just doesn't have, right? And this movie has lots of things that most movies don't have, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, as an example, it has Jesse Plemons singing Tulsi Town, <laughs> which I want just like on loop. It's a terribly yeah. strange performance, right? <laughs> uh, and it's just like, there's just tons of little details like that. Um, you know, David Thewlis, uh, the way he pronounces the word fucking <laughs> like, <laughs> over and over again, right? It's just like, uh, it's just this delightful, I mean, like, so we've talked about a lot about like the cerebral, you know, um, metaphysical stuff that's happening in this movie, existential stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But there's lots of like, dumb little details in this movie too that are like interesting and deserve like unpacking. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I I'm joking about like him singing Tulsi town, but I'm also kind of not. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. um, No, it's definitely. Yeah. It's rich. It's a rich movie. Yeah. All the details. Like we should be, we should spend five minutes talking about wallpaper, but we're not going to, you know what I mean? Like there's just a Mm -hmm. lot of stuff in this movie that warrants like thinking about. So at any rate, that's what that's the gift astronaut that we hope to give to you is just this um, endless series of like Russian nesting dolls that if you keep unpacking them, there's just more Russian nesting dolls in there. That's a good way of putting it. All right. Well, we beamed it up. Well done, Charlie Kaufman. Even though you just wrote another movie about yourself again. (laughs) Well, write what you know. Yeah, I guess that's true. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. I'll have fun editing this episode together. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. This has been Space Flicks. I'm Adam. I'm Dan. Bye. Goodbye.